Welcome to the Change Management Review from the Field series, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this episode, Brian Gorman interviews Amy Devereaux, author of the book, Powered by Principle, using core values to build world-class organizations. Amy shares her use of the Merlin process to identify an organization's long-term outcomes and how that leads to a shorter-term strategy. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, the Managing Editor of Change Management Review. And my guest today is Ami Devereaux. Ami has been a management consultant and high-performance coach for over 20 years, as well as having led two startup technology companies. She is the author of Powered by Principle, Using Core Values to Build World-Class Organizations, and focuses her coaching practice on founders and executives in small and medium-sized post-revenue startups with a special interest, although not exclusively, working in technology companies. Along with coaching and writing, Ami provides strategy consulting and delivers various interactive and keynote presentations, calling upon such tools as strategy mapping, balance scorecards, the golden circle, and the Merlin process. Her background includes ongoing research and inquiry into the impact of mental models and potential breakthroughs and challenges for thinking, communication, productivity, organizational cultures, and effectiveness. Ami was educated at Bennington College, Harvard University, and the London School of Economics, and holds two master's degrees. Welcome, Ami. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. So, you and I had a conversation about a week ago, and, and you brought up a number of things that caught my interest. And I think I'd like to start with the long picture, if you will. So could you talk with us a little bit about how you use the Merlin process and what that means for organizations that are looking at the future? Yeah, um, this is an area where it's it's interesting because over the last couple of years, I've had to modify my thinking on this a bit because I I deal so much with these kind of fast growth technology startups. And a lot of times, I don't know if your, your listeners are very much in that world, but a lot of time these companies are sort of formulated with an eye to a relatively fast exit, which is very different than the way we normally think of a company because most people start a company and imagine, even if not explicitly, that it will go on for a very, very long time. And uh, so the way that I use the Merlin process differs de depending on the company as a function of those, those distinctions. But what it, what it forces you to do is it takes the premise that you have a bunch of uh, results right now. All those results, of course, can be articulated in a list of outcomes. You have your profit and your revenue, the number of um, employees, the number of, of clients or customers, and so forth. So it's very measurable realities. And so you kind of get all those out and you have all those numbers sort of sitting somewhere. And then you formulate, um, we, we, we do scenario planning to really to start this. And when you come up with a kind of um, 
scenario, you're looking 30 years out. Now, 30 years is such a long time frame that it forces us out of what we do naturally just as sort of as cognate beings, which is when we project into the future, we're never really projecting a clean future. We're projecting a future that is basically an inference from the current reality. So when most companies do their planning for the next five years, what they do is they take last five years growth sort of trajectory, and then they just iterate that. Well, we grew by 7% over the, you know, year on year over the last five years. So let's grow by 8% over the next five years. Right. And, and if you think about it, that's, first of all, it's arbitrary. And second of all, it has no connection whatsoever to the strategy. It is literally just saying like, well, we're, we've gotten better in the past. Let's get better in the future. And there's nothing breakthrough-like about it. There's nothing extraordinary about it. So when you look out 30 years, though, you can't really do that. Um, and so what we do in the Merlin process is we say start at 30 years and let's work in a complete, almost fictionally, we're almost conjuring up a future from nothing. This is sort of science fiction, right? And we want to say what, given our our mission and vision of this organization, what our our true sort of north is, what would be the the financial and measurable indicators of that reality manifest 30 years from now? And you can see what that gap does, the 30 years versus, rea versus present reality, is it disconnects any inferential potential. It just makes that right, impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get these measures up of this fulfilled future or this pseudo-fulfilled future, because who knows what the fulfillment of the future would be. And then you work backwards from those numbers. And so in order to work backwards, you have to have selected a scenario that's going to ostensibly get you there. And of course, all of this rests on the foundation of the, the premise, which is that a strategy starts with a hypothesis. So you have a theory that your strategy is gonna get you to this fulfillment of the future. And then, as you work backwards from the 30 years, you're creating um, rules for your for your, your sort of extrapolation based on the hypothetical theory, not based on where we are today. So you're working backwards from the 30 years saying things like, well, if that future were fulfilled and we were truly executing against our mission and our vision were nearing fruition, what would be our growth trajectory? Well, let's say maybe it would be maybe it would be 27% year on year. Maybe that would be a better um, expression of the fulfillment of our vision. So that's it changes the dynamic. Now, at a certain point, as you work backwards from the 30-year horizon, you get to what you consider to be the strategic horizon. That's the the place where you're actually going to do your real strategy planning from. That's what the change management you're going to undertake is going to be um, in service of. Not the 30 years, let's say the five-year horizon mark. So when you get to that horizon, whatever that is, now you have to bridge 
wherever you got to from the 30 years to the five years to the present now. So you, you, now you have to do the extrapolation. That extrapolation tells you what you need to accomplish next year to be on track for the fulfillment of your 30-year vision. So, you're so that's really, how we use it. Okay, thank you. So you're, you're really driving uh, strategic change from a, a much longer time horizon, if you will. And, and moreover, from a future rather than just as a iteration of the past. Got it. Thank so you're, you. you're working from the future back, not from the present forward. And, and this kind of thinking comes up over and over in my work, and not just mine. This is work that is being done by lots of people who are in the sort of psychological world and the economics world. I mean, when you think about a pre-mortem process, a pre-mortem process requires you to do the same kind of thinking, to sort of uh, mentally teleport yourself into a future in which your strategy failed and sort of now kind of diagnose what happened. Very different from saying, well, let's, let's see, what are the problems with this strategy? Where could it go wrong? That's a different way of thinking. Right, right. You, you talked with me about also about your use of strategy mapping. Um, and I make the, the made the comparison when we were talking with um, a, a realization map. Can you just briefly paint us a, a verbal picture, if you will, of what a strategy map looks like and, and how you use that? Sure. Um, and in fairness, I don't know what a realization map is, and I didn't go research it. So <laughs> I, I have, they may be just the same. I really don't know. Um, but what we do with a strategy map is, uh, and here's the really important piece of it, you build it from the top down. This will make sense in a second. You execute it from the bottom up. So what you're building is you're building a flow chart that is a cause and effect map of everything you're saying your strategy will require to be fulfilled. So the way it gets built is you start from basically, and it can fit on a piece of paper, although we build it usually on a giant whiteboard or in using PowerPoint and all kinds of tools to make it possible for a group of people to do this. But um, you start from the top with what are the lagging indicators of the strategy. So these are just the, me the measurements and the top line measurements, you know, the shareholder value, revenue, profit, that kind of stuff. Obviously, you can't work on those things. There's nothing you can work on specifically. But you ask the question, if we were to fulfill these metrics, um, who would we have to be to our customer? That's the sort of next line down. That's your, your what is our customer differentiator. And then the next, so you make a decision there. And remember, all of strategy is just about making choices and decisions. None of these things are about necessarily painting an accurate uh, picture of the universe. This is hopefully an accurate projection of whether or not your theory is going to come true. So having gotten to that second line down, you then ask the question, if we're going to 
be this for our customers, what processes must we either create because we don't have them now or significantly enhance because without them, we cannot deliver this. And, and it's, it, it's an ongoing kind of nuanced process of, of choosing things that are strategically significant, not just things that you just have to be decent at, right? Right, right. Um, so in that, what's called the, the process dimension, come the actual operations pieces. So this is, you know, our, our strategy is we're going to be a customer intimate company and the way we're going to deliver that is through the use of data on our e-commerce website in order to make sure that we really know our customers well and that we deliver to them products that are perfect matches for their personality and their buying habits and their needs and whatever. And then, so in the process dimension, now you need some very specific processes to fulfill that, right? You need to have an extraordinary data mining and, da and a data analysis process. You would need, um, and so forth. You know, you can keep going. Right. And the, the interesting thing about a strategy map is that every item on the map has an arrow pointing up toward the thing it is believed to be a cause of or in service of. And it will have arrows pointing to it coming from either beneath or um, the same level on the map because other either processes or things in the, which I'm going to get to next, the bottom dimension, which is the skills, the, sorry, tools, technology, people, culture. So these are the, these are where you start work, right? And it will, something from there will point up to something in the process dimension. So, and, and by the way, you also have arrows pointing up to the specific lagging indicators. For example, sales will point toward revenue. Right, right. But, but increases in efficiency will point toward profitability. So you may have a process of, of some kind of efficiency process that reduces you know, headcount or reduces cost or reduces something and that will increase profitability. So everything is linked to everything. Nothing is on the map for no reason. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom dimension, once you have the process dimension done, the very bottom dimension is this, this people dimension. So that's the, the technology, the tools, the people. And people includes culture, values, behaviors. It can include a myriad of things that uh, obviously we're very involved in in our coaching work. Um, in transforming the decision-making, the thinking, the communication, the leadership of the human beings who are going to be instrumental in fulfilling the strategy. So then you build the people dimension. And then again, as I said at the very beginning, all of this gets executed from the bottom up because you work first on the, the technology, tools, skills, people, right? And right. those people then are empowered and skilled and trained and able to execute against the next dimension up, which are to implement those processes that are essential to delivering on the customer value proposition, which ultimately will deliver on the lagging measurable indicators of money and so forth. Um, the thing that's really fundamental, I think, to the fulfillment of the strategy map in reality 
And this is why I think that your um, your leadership in change management is so critically important to strategic success in organizations, not yours, but everybody's, um, but also yours, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, the most important thing you can do as a leader executing strategy in this fashion is to make sure that every single person in your organization, regardless of their pay grade, understands the, the entire strategy map and understands more specifically their role in it and how what, whatever it is they're being tasked with directly connects them to the most important outcomes the company is out to produce. And that piece alone transforms organizations. So how do you communicate that? That's where um, coaching and training and working directly with the senior leadership of any organization comes in because it's not me who would communicate it or you who would communicate it. It would be the CEO or the managing director or the executive director. They have to be the ones that lead the charge of having um, all hands meetings and going out into the field, however big that field may be, and educating their people on what this strategy is. Now, they may not be the ones who do the work of showing an individual worker what their specific role is. That would, that would be cascaded down through an organization, especially in a large organization. You would expect um, directors and managers, supervisors to be involved in that process. But that educational process is the key sort of, as far as I'm concerned, it really is the keystone to having everybody in the organization be strategy focused and working in a way that has them fully embrace the, the critical integral role that they have. When people understand why they're doing what they're doing, they just do it in a completely different way and they experience everything differently. And every one of us has had that experience for ourselves. You know, as, as I'm listening to you, you remind me of a study I read a while ago about housekeepers in hospitals. And mm. um, many of them saw their jobs as housekeepers. Uh -huh. But there were some, you know, and, and, and the researchers really did a lot of field observation. And, and they'd see housekeepers go into the rooms and the patient rooms, and the first thing they'd do is they'd look up at the ceiling. And um, they'd, they'd ask, why are you looking at the ceiling? And the housekeeper would say, what do you think the patient is looking at all day? Right. Um, or they, they would say, what is your job? And, and they might say, I'm a healer. Mm -hmm. um, because they understood the role that their particular function and they individually would play in the healing of patients. So there would be housekeepers who would um, you know, work their eight hours 
a day and and literally finish the last of the rooms at the end of eight hours and there will be others with the same workload who would finish a lot more quickly and then would spend time visiting patients who they had observed didn't have visitors um, and and to me that that's emblematic of what you're saying is in terms of people understanding their role in achieving the strategic outcomes of the organization. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent illustration. I actually have I heard a podcast in which that study was highlighted and I remember finding it really just breathtaking. Now imagine how extraordinary it would be for the leader of that hospital to have identified the pivotal and integral role that housekeeping has in maintaining both the morale of the patients toward their, their own healing and the hygiene for the patients toward maintaining a, an infection-free environment. I mean, you start to see these interrelationships in a very different way when you start thinking in strategy map kind of paradigm. Because if every housekeeper understood the direct relationship between the quality of the room's cleanliness and the fulfillment of the patient's healing, probably a far greater percentage would be able to internalize the value that they provide. Right. When we were talking, there, there was one other thing that I wanted to uh, explore a little bit more with you today. Um, you talked about... Uh, working with leaders in, in making decisions. And you made an important distinction in my mind, um, saying that you don't just facilitate the decision-making, you actually have to coach. Can you talk mm. a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think when we were talking about this, this was more in um, making the distinction between the, the work that gets done when you're crafting a strategy map, because these are typically done in a room with, you know, it can be a large number of people. I mean, I did this work with, I think I mentioned uh, a sovereign lending bank, something kind of like the World Bank, and I think we had 40 people in the room, and it was this interesting variety of people who were country leaders, not politically leaders, but country leaders for the bank, but also economists and also people who were operations experts who were the ones who were executing the uh, projects that the bank was lending against. And, you know, you have that number of people. What happens often is you need decisions to be made or the process never gets complete, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, people can debate forever, as we're all guilty of. And if somebody isn't at the front of the room uh, sort of moving things along, nothing ever happens. And the, the, I think the distinction that I was making was from the front of the room, you know, um, what, a, what a facilitator does is kind of clear the way for people to have the discussions and have the disagreements and so forth. But oftentimes what happens then is once a decision is finally made, let's say you do it by a vote, because that's kind of a facilitation model. Um, if you do it by a vote, then everybody who lost in the vote is now kind of grudgingly going along. 
And you can't successfully create a strategy with every person who's in the room, meaning every leader who's going to be responsible for, for, for fulfilling this strategy with half of them grudgingly going along. That just doesn't work. And that could happen at multiple points in the process because they're creating the Merlin process, which means all of the metrics. They're also creating the strategy map, which means essentially everything that's going to happen in the organization. So in order to create genuine consensus, what we do is we coach from the front of the room. And that coaching, one example, looks like distinguishing for everybody in the room something we call um, creative al alignment, which basically means that I disagreed with you on this issue. You and I were on different sides of this particular disagreement, and your side won, okay? You made the argument. I made the argument. They chose yours. What I have to do then is I have to ontologically sort of shift my molecules so that I can be fully invested in your argument. That's a, that's a very unusual thing that humans are not especially good at doing, all right? We're right, just right. not. And what it takes to accomplish that is for the, the people at the front of the room to go beyond facilitating and actually coach the individuals who are either stuck and having trouble with that to be able to, um, to interrogate their point of view and interrogate their kind of ontology in that moment, the way that they're being about this decision such that they can themselves choose to let it go. Like really let it go, not let it go in some kind of um, superficial way just to get the thing going forward. And that's, that's a coaching conversation. That's not a facilitation conversation. And the same thing happens one-on-one -on -one with the leaders in the organization because, for example, what often happens with a strategy, and I'm sure this is, comes up all the time if you're a change management professional, like that's really your focus, is, you know, you, you craft the strategy and you start executing it. And then there are the people who are just digging their heels in and they're just unwilling. And you know, you do everything you can to coach their leadership and to coach the people communicating with them and hopefully to work directly with them to, um, to I don't know, persuade them, coax them, um, convince them to be on the, t on the sort of on the train, if you will, the train's going a certain direction. At a certain point, they may never be willing to do that. And that's the time when for, for the senior leadership, it can be where the rubber meets the road because right, this can right. often in, include deep alliances, long-term relationships, tenured employees, and it's really hard for senior leadership to have to make decisions to basically move forward at the expense of those relationships and those people. Mm -hmm. So you really some of it. Go ahead. What, what you're really doing is coaching people through their resistance. Yeah, and coaching people into their action, the decisions they made. I mean, the strategy is theirs. They crafted it. They created it. Got it. Got it. 
this has been very informative. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to to add before we wrap this up? No, no. I'm very grateful to have been on on your podcast, and um, obviously, I'd be delighted if you have follow up questions or your listeners do, and they can certainly contact me. I know you'll give whatever you know my website or my email or something, and um, I'd be happy to continue the conversation with anyone who is curious beyond this. Great. Thank you so much, Ami. Have a great day. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You too, Brian. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review from the Field Series with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and Amy Devereaux. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.